What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, Palbociclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrantz, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Welcome back, All the Smoke, Season 5. Jack, it's been a, a nice three days. That's the way to end it, though. Yeah, but now we get to be, you gotta finish strong. Yes, you gotta finish right. strong. Three-time NBA champ, NCAA champ, finals MVP in 1988, Hall of Famer. Uh, his team was the reason I fell in love with basketball. A lot Welcome of them. To the show, yeah. All of them. 
James Worthy. Appreciate you, Big man. Big games. What a pleasure, man. Appreciate honor, it. Honor. Love what you guys are doing, man. Thank it's, you. It's an honor to be here, for real. Thank you. I mean, speak to, we, we, I mean, obviously the media crossover is, is prevalent now with former athletes, but you kind of did it when it wasn't as common. You kind of worked your media, you know, your, your media journey to what you're doing now, but speak to how you're seeing more players kind of cross over now and how important you feel that is. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's imperative for those who are interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wanted to do radio. Mm-hmm. You know, they always told me, you know, you have the face for radio. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I was like, so I was, I was like, you know, I, I thought I could do that. But then coming to coming to Los Angeles, um, you know, being in the media, you know, environment, mm-hmm. and it being a, a you know a, a, a lot of opportunities, I got an opportunity to. Uh, to, to work a game because uh, Stu Lance mm-hmm. was working with Chick Hearn mm-hmm. and uh, Stu had to go to a funeral in his hometown. So I replaced him and Sue Stratton, who was the producer at the time, she says, Hey, you, you know, you have a future in this. So ever, ever since she told mm-hmm. me that, that was uh, a year after I retired. Uh, and then I've always wanted to be in the media to some mm-hmm. exposure, like radio mm-hmm. or, you know, even, you know, uh, investing in AM radio stations was something I always, you know, thought about. So, but being in LA, getting exposure, uh, I sucked at it at the beginning mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, as an athlete, you have the, the, the knowledge, but then as you guys know from taping and timing, you know, so it, it took me a while. So I worked, I worked the KCAL nine. I worked for the Seattle supersonics mm. with Kevin Calabro, just trying to get mm-hmm. on tape and, uh, with, with, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the Vancouver uh, Grizzlies at the time before they moved to Memphis. So and this turned out to be uh, a great job. I enjoy what I do. Uh, I've gotten really comfortable with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I love to see guys who are interested in it because they have a lot to to convey mm-hmm. to an audience. You know, audiences see a lot, but they don't always know why something happened. Mm-hmm. And that's where the athlete comes mm-hmm. into play. Uh, Showtime Lakers. The the you guys as a whole have been in the news a lot because of the uh, winning time. Yeah, did you get a chance to watch that? And what were your thoughts if you did? You know, I haven't watched it in detail. Sometimes I'd be because yeah, I said I wasn't going to watch. Oh, okay. it. You know how when it first so came how, out. Yeah, so what? To tell me, so that wasn't cleared by you. How, how, what was the rift at nah, the beginning? It was a book written by Perlman. So you know, players don't really have rights to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes to. Uh, you know, writing movies and books mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So the book was written, and I remember doing uh, a couple of interviews, or one interview for the book mm-hmm. uh, of several years ago, which turned into a, a, a series. Gotcha. Uh, and you know, the Lakers, you know, uh, had their own legacy. Yep. Uh, so we were focused on that. But lately, every time I'm, I'm going through the channel, you know, I don't want to stop, but yeah. I'll stop because. They, you know, they they presented me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see the guy that was playing me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for fans who, you know, who lived that era, and some who didn't, and they 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 like it. You know, sometimes it's a little satire. Mm-hmm. Not always exactly what it. You know, I don't. I, I, I really didn't have a problem with it. I didn't really watch because I lived it. Mm-hmm. It just looked weird to me to to, it, to, right. to watch it, and uh, I, I know how. Hollywood is so you know I, I was cool with it. It it, it would I would have liked to have taken part in it. Right. It was a it was a, it was a great decade. Mm-hmm. You know there was more to it than 
you know, all the all the crazy stuff. You know, it was Larry and Magic. You know, there was a radical part to it. You know, there was a race component to it. You know, the West Coast and Boston. Uh, and I think it could have been much better. But for those who enjoyed it, you know, it's all good. I, I held off watching it because I heard former players weren't stamping it. But once I started watching, I can't lie, I liked it. I can't even lie. <laughs> I hear the same thing, man. I uh, liked it. I was a lot of people strong for y'all. Yeah, I watched it. I, I think I, the, the guy who played Bird did an excellent job, man. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. He, he'll he he'll fool you. The dude who plays, I mean, I, I thought they got a lot of the guys right as far as like portraying them. You know, the guy that played Jerry Buss. I, I, I thought Kareem was yeah. good. Yeah. You know, I thought Jerry Buss. You know, yeah. from, from what I saw, the was, was what I heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't as accurate as I yeah. remember. Yeah, you know, but you know, when you're making a move, you have to. Yeah. Uh, Spice you it know, uh, yeah. So you know, my, my hats off to him. Um, Lakers this year uh, kind of made an unexpected run last year. I thought that Rob Plinka had a really good summer, grabbing some pieces. Uh, thoughts on them this year? Well, you know, after um, you know, and I'm not in the moral seasons or more victories i i was i was okay with what they did considering what they you know had to go through had had trade deadline been like december and they'd had a chance to make some moves Mm -hmm. early and you know and and i love westbrook sometimes the chemistry is not what it should be you Mm -hmm. know it just didn't work out but after that you know i thought the run that they made to get into the play-in was was pretty amazing and then memphis and golden state so they're looking to compound on that you know picking up i really like gabe from miami mm-hmm. uh you know and some of the guys they but the key you know uh also rivers who I, I think is emerging is a uh a really improved player Rui, mm-hmm. uh and then woods who they picked up you say what you want to about woods he's a numbers Solid. guy yeah and so i like jackson uh, hayes too Long yeah man. block shots see runs uh, torrent you know mm-hmm. you know so I feel that they, this is like LeBron's one of his last runs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think it's, it's going to be up to what AD wants to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, LeBron is LeBron, but it's AD's team. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for him to, uh, and I think he understands that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel really good. Um, you know, Golden State's going to be, are they going to make one more run? Mm-hmm. I think with, mm-hmm. with the guys, of course, Denver. Uh, you know, Phoenix defender with mm-hmm. Booker, you never can count them out. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a hot tamale. Get an opportunity to watch Braun um, a lot lately. He passed your former teammate, obviously, last season uh, as an yeah. all time scoring. Just being able to see him and play with Magic, play with Jordan. Um, what have you seen from him? Obviously, this is a little bit later in his career, but just his body of work and his run during his, his league. Yeah, his, his body of work is, uh, is, is pretty amazing coming out of high school. Uh, you know, colleges where you get the repetition of, of of skills and work, and you get to do the drills for him to come. You know, straight out of high school, of course, amazing body, and for what he's done. Um, you know, regardless of if he's done it with three teams, he's done it, and uh, he he has a formula to longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's in the he's in the talk of. You know, you know, being the one one of one of the greatest. I I can't say you know who mm-hmm. the greatest is. Right. I mean, if if I had to guess, I I I would have to go with Kareem with his full body of work. I think it's I think it's a full body of work. If you've seen it all, you can make a determination. But LeBron, uh, you know, to be uh, playing like a twenty something year old, hmm. dominating uh, the way he has, of course, 
the science and the and 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 the theory of the game of how you stay in shape, the diet, everything, it's changed tremendously. But his his ability to will reminds me uh of of magic. You know, you're comfortable with him on the floor because you know something is gonna happen good. Uh, an assist guy, uh, a score. So I, I like his body of work and you know, he'll be mentioned in obviously the top three or four. He's mastered play. the longevity play. He's mastered. He's mastered that. Better than anybody <laughs> that I've ever seen yes. in any sport, uh, including golf, when you can play for a long time in golf. But, uh, I mean, I mean, you look at what, you know, what, what he's been able to do and still able to do uh, to pay close attention to details and sacrifice, you know, to, to keep his body afloat. Uh, and to have the will, uh, sometimes, you know, it's mind over matter. Yeah, right. And he has that. Growing up in Gastonia, North Carolina, I played basketball up the, up the road at Oak Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you remember about your childhood? Man, childhood was, uh, it was, it, it, there was no exposure. About 30,000 people uh, from Gastonia. And the education was poor. Um, you know, my dad had an eighth grade education. My mom went back to college to get a nursing, you know, degree later, 23 years after she graduated. So it was it was tough. And you don't realize the situation you're in till later. I didn't realize what I had been through until I went to college. When you when you poor and young, you don't know you poor. You just you don't know. <laughs> well, my mom and dad were home every night. As opposed to some of my neighbors who didn't have that. I I mean, I thought we were rich. Mm -hmm. You know, my, we had something to eat. Mm -hmm. Biscuits and molasses. You know, my grandmother lived around the corner. So I, you know, I was happy. But, you know, as far as the educational system, you know, when I took the SAT and I was like, damn. And then, you know, I had reading disabilities. And because of the, the education system, the school system was really corrupt. And, you know, depending on where you lived. And I went through integration, you know, and, and, uh, and, and elementary school. So that was, that was tough. Uh, so my childhood was, was sheltered, uh, not a lot of conversation in my house. My mother was really submissive. My dad was who he was. And I, you know, my, my two older brothers, we grew up and said, we're never going to be like our dad. You know, he was, you know, he was never home hardly. And, you know, we, we ended up just like him. So those cycles, you know, they perpetuate themselves as you get older. And until you're able to break those cycles, they will disrupt Absolutely. your life. Absolutely. So uh, I deal with a lot of like mental therapy right now, trying to get guys to focus on don't be ashamed to sit down with a therapist because I'm 62. And for the last 15 years, I've been breaking these cycles you know, of DNA, you know, you look like your parents. Yeah. You know, you walk around the town and they'll say, oh, you so-and-so son. So you look like them, but you also bring forth a lot of that pain, mm -hmm. a lot of that anxiety, you know, uh, resentment, resentment, shame, you know, especially, you know, for a black man who, who has dealt and still deals with, you know, systemic racism on a daily basis for what you have to deal with, then you got to come home and try to, you know, compose yourself when you really don't have 
you know, a voice. I didn't have a voice. I got married without a voice. Wow. You know what I mean? I didn't have any expression. I just, I, I played ball, you know, girls liked me, you know, but I didn't have, I didn't have a voice. I didn't know how to live in that environment. So I lived into my thirties like that. So, you know, that was my childhood. That's what my childhood yielded me. Uh, so it's important to kind of grasp those moments if you can. I, I kind of wish that, you know, study hall and PE in high school or in junior high could be replaced, not so much with a psychiatrist, but with conversation mm -hmm. to kind of help these kids move along. Because otherwise you'll bury it. You'll internalize it and explode and you won't be able to convey it. And yeah, it comes out. It's going to come out somewhere drinking, mm -hmm. you know, whatever women, it's mm -hmm. going to come out somehow in a negative way. So we need to, we need to deal with that. You know, we go to the barbershop and that's where we get, that's mm -hmm. our therapy, so, but, yeah, yeah. but it's okay. It, you know, I grew up weak. What? I'm not going to see no, no damn thing. Going to see no therapy, especially in our communities. In our too. community, you know, buck mm -hmm. up, you know. Mm -hmm. So we were taught that, but we need to realize it's okay, man. It's okay to, you know, sometimes you have to cry. Sometimes yeah. you have to get that shit out. Like, that's that's that. That was my childhood, but my child was cool. Nothing to do. Sports. Yeah. yeah. That was it. If you didn't have sports, you you were going to be either going to the military or depending on your, uh, you know, your your education. You 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 know, some people went to college, but. Uh, it, it was nothing to do but sports. No, we had no gangs, nothing like that. So, you know, if you were caught up, you know, you go downtown, try to steal something. There was a lot of that going on. But we had sports and we had when the boys club. coming to play for you? Uh, about this. My brothers took me around sixth grade. Sixth grade. They had a, a league called Gray Y. And it was through the YMCA, through your elementary school at the mm -hmm. time. It was one through six. But the goals were only uh, five, eight. And they had a height limit. I barely made the height limit. I think it was like five, seven or something. I was tall. But I knew I had, uh, you know, some future in the eighth grade. Right? In the seventh grade, I was like six feet. And from seventh grade um, to eighth grade, I grew like five inches. Yeah. And I was at the boys club. Uh, my director, Mr. Perry, was talking to some high school guys who were athletes and they were football players. And I heard him say scholarship. You can get a free ride if you get a scholarship. And I, I had no idea really what scholarship was all about. And I was like, you can get a, a free ride to college if you, you know, if you're if you're balling. Now, I had two older brothers in college. My mom and dad were scuffling to put them through school. So that's when I really got interested. Wasn't that good in football, baseball. So, yeah, I started getting busy. When you hear the name Dean Smith, what comes to mind? Conscious brother. He was a conscious man. Yeah. Uh, you know, he really used his platform to, uh, to enroll you into what was possible in your life. He, he, he developed good citizens. And you see that not with Michael and Sam and I and, Vince, you see it with all his lettermen who have done well. Uh, he took us to play a game with North Carolina State Prison. We went in there, and this was in 80. And, you know, we, and it, I, I wasn't comfortable. 
Because I mean, they were looking at us in different ways yeah. than uh, than basketball. But he he was uh, he was he's he's that kind of guy. You know, he's uh, it, it didn't matter if you were Michael Jordan or Michael the Tower Boy. So he used his platform very well to kind of prep you for for life and keep you humble. Yeah. Did did he did he make you feel uh, not only wanted but like family in your recruitment process? He's very honest. Yeah. So, you know, and, and a lot of people don't believe this when I tell him, but he was strictly by the book. Yeah. I mean, you can ask MJ, Sam, anybody. There was no, you know, money or anything involved. But he'd come in and tell your parents. He got to know your parents really well. He promised you three things. He's like, I promise you. You know, your son graduated if he stays four years. Uh, I promise you that, you know, uh, uh, he, he'll, he'll go to class. And if he's, we require you to go to, to church your, your first semester. And my mom was sitting over there. And I, I, know, I know when she heard that, she was like, damn, that's where he's going. Mm -hmm. But he was really honest. And I had always loved him since he bought Charlie Scott, was the first black ACC player to come to the ACC. And Coach Smith took a lot of heat. They tried to fire him. Uh, they hung him in effigy after a game. But he used to take stands like that. Mm -hmm. Took Charlie Scott to church with him, took him to restaurants in 67 where, where blacks weren't still allowed. So. I knew about him early. I got to go to basketball camp where I fell in love with guys like Phil Ford, Walter Davis, guys like that, you know, so, you know, Mitch Kupchak was there. So I was, I was kind of tied in, locked in at, at, from, from like 15 years old. Mm. Is it, is it true that he left every UNC player's money for a steak dinner when he passed? $200. Mm. Yeah. Every letterman that played for him, uh, and I think he was like sticking it to the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, I finally yeah. can take care of my players. Yeah, fine. I'm, I'm going to do something. You're not going to be able to do anything about it. But yeah. uh, and you know, he used to write personal notes. He'd have his secretary type them up, and then at the bottom, it would always be P.S. And he would write a few lines. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he had he had special special touches like that, and a memory like you wouldn't believe, which was which was sad to see him. Uh, have dementia at the end of his life, yeah. but yeah, he he had a memory that was like amazing. Everybody talk about MJ's uh, championship shot, 1983 against Georgetown, the championship. But you had 28, 13 for 17 from the field. Mm, Nobody don't talk about that. It was on your shoulders. But what's your take on that? Well, you did your job. I, you know, <laughs> if you watch the uh, the Michael Jordan documentary. When he was in Chicago, not that, not the hair movie. I had, I had a statement, you know, when, when Michael came uh, to Carolina, I tell everybody I was, I was better than Michael. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, for about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> three weeks. For about three weeks, man. Uh, I knew he had it. When you're an athlete, and you guys are both tough. I watched you. I watched you your whole career. You know, when you, when you're tough. And you're not going to back down from anybody and you're going to take them on. But then when somebody comes along that, that's, they're fucking tougher than you. They're like, mm -hmm. he was an assassin and he bullied me. 
he because I you know he's he sought out the best at everything. If you were the best backgammon player in the dorm, he wanted to know. If you were the best card player, he wanted to find out. And he took everything as if he was losing a game seven. Losing just wasn't. I didn't care what it was. He'd break a table if he lost a backgammon. So he he sought me out, and you know we practiced two hours, two and a half hours. You guys know how them college practices are. You ready to get out of there? Mm-hmm. And he would. I'd be walking off the court, and he'd push. Where you going, young young fella? That's what he called me. So you were a junior when he was, I was a, freshman, a junior, right? his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you know he wanted to know, and uh, and throughout that year, even though I was MB, you know MVP, there were some games against Virginia in the ACC tournament where Michael kept us in the game. He had some mm-hmm. big shots against, you know, Ralph Sampson and those guys. And then against Georgetown, we only had really five players against Patrick Ewan and my homeboy, Sleepy Floyd. They were mm-hmm. tough. Uh, but Michael hit some big shots and kept us in. You know, I, and then at the end of the game, um, Coach Smith wanted me to be like a decoy. You know, I, you know we, had, we had lost to Indiana the year before. Isaiah Thomas and Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. So getting back, was 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 special, and I wanted to Funny. win or lose Zeke on he, my Zeke shoulder. He, he been punching on Mike. Zeke, I beat, I beat, I always beat Mike. That's what Zeke always. Say. Yeah, yeah. He, you know Zeke. Zeke been opinionated lately. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him alone. It's over, man. He had a good career. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, you know because uh, you know they they expected me to you know to take the shot. You know, we run high-low against their zone. Patrick Ewing was a beast. And I wanted to win or lose because Michael was a freshman. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know if he had it in his veins. But uh, I was to flash in the middle. Coach Smith didn't call it up like that, but he knew it would work out that way if we ran our offense properly. So we ran a high-low. Sam went down low. I flashed in, and three guys collapsed. And Michael was wide open. Now he. He didn't draw it up like that, but at the, at the end of the timeout, you know, when you're walking back on the court, Michael was one of the last guys, and I heard Coach Smith kind of, if you get it, if you get a clean look, knock it, you know, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, because he knew, he knew Michael had it in his veins, and uh, yeah, that was the beginning. Uh, we called him Mike, yeah. Mike Jordan. Can, he, can he say he ain't had no handle when he came, when he first got there? No handles? No, not... Well, Kenny had him uh, after I left. Mm-hmm. Kenny's still mad at me because I re- recruited Kenny. He wanted to play with me, and I left after my junior year. Yeah, with yeah. he and Brad Doherty. But yeah, he 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 didn't have a lot of fundamentals when he, he came. Was raw. I think he was a better baseball player mm. coming out of high school. Yeah, and you know you've heard the story of him getting cut from his high school team yeah. once. So he had a lot to work on. He had raw talent, though. Raw talent. But when he got the fundamentals down after his freshman year, and he worked at it because we had drill after drills after drills, and whatever his weakness was, he was willing to work on it. And so I can't remember him having, uh, I mean, back then we ran four corners. There wasn't a 24 second shot clock his freshman year. So he was okay in that, but I, I don't remember him ever having the ball handling skills that Right. A guard has to possess. Mm-hmm. UNC's uh, UNC summer runs. Yeah, how was that? Lawrence Taylor played in some of those games. <laughs> really? Word. Yeah, football players in woolen gym. Lawrence Taylor was nice. 
Yeah, well, Lawrence Taylor was a beast. You get the rebound, he just right. move out of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was coming. He yeah. was coming. But yeah, the pickup games, because a lot of guys from Duke came over. Mm. That's seven miles apart. We they go was there allowed? Sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, I'll play. And Will and Jim, but they were like, they were like iconic games. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys probably played in some of the, you know, games over at UCLA. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to lose. So, yeah, there was two courts. You always had to, but, but when LT came, he was a pretty good player. Uh, but yeah, he was a beast. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Do you have any stories of anybody just dominating those runs? Al Wood. You guys probably don't remember Al Wood, but Al Wood played. He was from 
Macon, Georgia. And in 1981, when we lost to Indiana, we played Virginia in the semi. And he scored 37 points. The brother could shoot. Man, when he, when he got hot, he was like Ray Allen or Dale Ellis. Uh, of course, you know, uh, I only had MJ for about four months, but he dominated Woolen. Like the dunks that he threw down in there. Uh, a point guard, a lot of people don't remember Jimmy Black. He was from New York. He was our senior point guard. He was, he, we caught, we, he had the empty gym theory. You know, he, he dropped 45 on you in a, in a pickup game. And Sam Perkins, you know, Sam Perkins was a, Sam yeah. Perkins was a beast. Yeah, mm-hmm. Big smooth, man. He was on Ruby for a year. But we had guys like that, you know, uh, and then back, you know, uh, well, guys like Gene Banks, you know, Vince Taylor, guys like that would come over from Duke, but. But LT was he was the guy. Mm. Shirts and skins. Shirts and skins. Yeah, shirts and skins. Is there a better big three in college history than Jordan, Perkins, and Worthy? Uh there 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 would be mention or honorable mention because when you think about some of the some of the the, tri- the trios that John Wooden had, yeah. Um, you know, Duke had yeah. some some Kentucky. Uh, but you know, Sam was uh, a captain of the 84, one of the captains of the 84 Olympic team in Michael. And, you know, when you think of power forwards and center, you don't, you know, you don't mention Sam that much. You think of Tim Duncan, Carl mm-hmm. Malone, you think, but I would put my boy, and I'm, 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 I guess I've been a little bit biased, but based on his performance and what he can do, uh, I would say we would, we, we could we we could play with anybody. No question. Um, you know, Kareem without, you know, back in the day with Lucius Allen and some of those guys, they were but Big Sam could go inside and out. And he had to play Ralph Sampson at seven four a lot. Sam, you know, he played against Sam Bowie, he held his own. Uh and then of course, you know, MJ. So yeah, I I'd I'd, I'd be I'd be willing to <laughs> Put a little money on that. Uh, you leave after your junior year. Lakers won a championship in '82 and get get a first pick due to a Cavs trade they made there a few years ago. Yeah. Before any any good pre draft stories, the top three in that draft were yourself, Dominique Wilkins, and Terry Cummings. Yeah, man. Um, it was all dependent on what Ralph Sampson was going to do. If Ralph Sampson had come out. That means Ralph would have gone first. Dominique probably would have gone second. Terry Cummins was a beast. Um, and then I would have, I don't know where I would have landed, maybe, mm. maybe even lower. So I would have stayed. But I knew Jerry West. If Ralph didn't come, I knew he w- was interested in, in me because the Lakers had won two out of three championships already. They had Jamal Wilkes, Bob McAdoo. You know, uh, Kareem, Magic, Norm Nixon, they didn't need a human highlight fan. What they needed was somebody who was going to come in and, you know, maybe not start, which was unusual for a number one draft pick. And so they needed, you know, I guess they were looking for someone disciplined. Dean's boys were known for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Ralph stayed, I knew I would be the number one pick based on some conversation that I've had with. And so, yeah, man, that, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was awesome. Uh, but I remember being kind of not, 
arrogant. I was kind of full of myself because I thought I was pretty good. So I walked into training camp and I'm looking around, you know, like this Kareem, Magic, you know, there's Jamal Wilk was still, still high. Cause I was looking for a spot, you know. I'm like, fuck this, I'm starting this year. Norm Nixon, then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see Kurt Rambis come in. I had on these Coke bottle glasses <laughs> with duct tape in the middle. He had all these apparatuses on and shit. He smelled like Ben Gay and shit. He rubbed all this. He had this cream called 454 back in the day. It's like horse ointment and shit. He had all that shit on. I, like, I was faster. I was quicker. I was like, so we started practice. And I played power forward in college. Kirk was a power forward in the NBA. We started practice. And within 20 minutes, he, he beat the living shit out of me, man. Mm. He, he let me know what a real, what an NBA power forward was. And I wasn't ready for that. Because mm. I didn't really have a jumper. I was known for quick inside. Smooth. So, but and that was his territory. I had to operate down in there where he lived. And when you got down in there, he was like, okay. He's the reason I went and got a jump shot. Mm, really? Yeah, I couldn't handle it. And I couldn't handle other power forwards. It was different. That's why power forwards in college usually go down to, you know, you go down to, and so it was tough then with Kurt and McHale and Lonnie Shelton and Kenny Carr. I remember a lot of old heads, you know, they didn't mess around. And, and, and so I had to go sit down for a second. Mm. And, you know, now I start looking at Jamal and I'm saying, all right, Jamal, you got an X on your back. But that's the story I had. And then, you know, man, it was shitball crazy in the, in the 80s, man. It was like, you know, it was just crazy. You know, the hotels, the, the lifestyle. I'm glad. I'm, I'm really glad it wasn't like a social media. Wow, shit going on. It was huh? just crazy. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was just crazy. And and it was it was it was fun, but it was dangerous, and it was uh, it was just free fall. Talk know? about the fandom, though. I mean, you're coming from North Carolina. You're in Hollywood now. You know, you're coming on one of the best teams. You know, arguably two yeah. of the greatest players of all time. Um, you know, this Showtime team is not only known for being great on the court, but being great off the court as well. Yeah. So you were coming into a lot of different moving parts. Well, for a country boy like me who only had two girlfriends. It forced me to get married. It forced you. Because I was out here for a couple of years uh, alone, and it was it was a death wish. <laughs> <laughs> a death wish, uh, which I couldn't handle it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on a serious note, you know, if you, if, if you're not absolutely sure who you are, and it should be a process that you go through, you should not be in a seriously committed relationship or get married. It's okay to have a, a committed relationship. I'll take that back. But marriage is tough. You know, um, I went through my entire 20s internalizing and, you know, I didn't want to, I, I didn't really want to, I was, you know, brought up in the church. My mom, my dad was a minister. And so I didn't want to go to the strip clubs. You know, I was trying to be loyal to my wife, but all the you know, the uncertainty and all the internalization 
you know, caused me to like start to use escort service because mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted some sex and I wanted to be told I was handsome. And there was a lot of things that you uh, that you that you explore in your own mind. You make up all these excuses for for yourself. You know, a lot of guys turn to drugs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 the athlete, you know, on one side that you see. You know, who you who who's who's a badass and he's, you know, in public and he's dunking and he's but then when you're sitting in a hotel room by yourself and then your real shit comes. So you 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 got that winning formula over here that works for you and it keeps you alive. You know, it keeps you going. It gets you work, it gets you jobs, it makes people like you. You you're surviving with the winning formula. But then when you get back over here, you realize that you you hate that over there, mm. and so then you start dealing with that, and uh, and so then it comes out some some kind of way. So, yeah, I I, I think you really have to uh, have good mentor, somebody that you can listen to, because because you know when you when you become twenty, twenty one, and you run into all this fame and fortune and money and craziness. Like my best friend was a doctor or is a doctor. And so what he was doing at 20 was when he got out of college, 21, he's finding a roommate, you know, to live in an apartment with, you know, find him a nice used Toyota, you know, to kind of. And then it took him till he was 30s until he got any money. And then he had a bunch of money to pay back, but he had a real stage of, of life, you know, people have real stage. They have to go out and get a real job and live a real, they, they're, they're not famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really got to check yourself, man. When you're an athlete, you know, most of the time, I'm going to say most of the time, some of the time, the women that we do get are not for the real, the real deal. They, you know, cause they're, they're looking for popularity too. They're looking so sometimes it's just uh, it's just something you got to check yourself with, man. I'm 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 writing a book. I'm not promoting it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm going to write a book and I'm going to talk about not so much the X's and O's in my career, but you know the mental state wow. that we go through. And uh, there's no excuses, but it is it, it, it is a hard a barrier. And unless you've been through it, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to, for people to grasp it. Yes. Like, oh, you can have whatever you want. What are you complaining about? Yeah. Like, it's, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And, we, you know, I think the more we talk about it, the more we explain it, mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, yeah. That's I see. Same, I understand. Same, same I met a lot of women that was good that was good for me. I mean, good to me, but it wasn't good for me. <laughs> yeah, man. But we live and learn. Yeah. yeah. What was you guys' popularity like back then, though, from city to city? I mean, you guys imagine Kareem yourself. You made a name for yourself very quickly yeah. in, in, in the league. But what was the fandom like? Because this is obviously pre-social media. Yeah. They'll get a glance of you on TV and maybe in the paper. But that's the only real way unless they see you guys in person. Yeah, it was it was crazy because you couldn't get a ticket. You showed up at the hotel. You knew, you know, what, what, what hotel. It was easy to find out what hotel we're staying in. And back then, you know, we were hitting the clubs. You know, guys were going to nightclubs, so and it was magic. I mean, we had one player that was, you know, very popular. Kareem was very quiet. Um, I was I was more toward Kareem pretty much, but I, you know, 
I have my twos and fews, you know, yeah. I, I go out and enjoy, yeah. enjoy the popularity and hang with the guys. We went to the movies a lot. We always was like a magnet, you know, wherever you see four or five players. But back then, all the teams like, you know, Detroit, Boston, you get the airport running. And then when you get to that hotel, man, they that's where it all was mm -hmm. in the lobbies. A lot of people got rooms in the same hotel you stayed in. And it was, you know, it was there was uh there was some, you know, experts in there, there was mm -hmm. some con artists in there, it was everything. Mm -hmm. it was dangerous and fun at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you know, the NBA, you know, they knew all the, you know, they knew, as you guys know, they know where all the tickets are. And a lot of times, you know, like one team would come in and give their tickets to whomever. And so, you know, the next team would come in maybe a couple of nights later. And so that section is the same for the visiting team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'd be the same faces. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same people. And Every so, other city you we know, go. Yeah. 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 So the NBA, you know, they, they start investigating that kind of stuff. Mm. But yeah, you have to be, have to be yes. careful. What was it like when you entered the league? I mean, cigarettes in the locker room, commercial flights. Yeah, uh, it was it did. It was too <laughs> black. It yeah. was drug filled. I mean, the league obviously came a long way. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and you were part of the movement as it transitioned from something that wasn't very marketable to being a very marketable sport. Yeah. I just wanted to play in the NBA. I had no idea in 82 that the image was still lacking. Mm -hmm. You know, a uh, lot of cocaine, you know, from the 70s, from the ABA merging up into the 70s they had no drug policy they had no tv contract a lot of teams you couldn't even you didn't even know where they were playing there was a lot of uh you know talk about you know too many black players mm -hmm. there's an article about the new york you know knickerbockers you can you can pick up it's 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 in google you can find out what they used to call them so um o'brien I only had him for one year before Commissioner Stern came in. And to Commissioner Stern's credit, you know, he had a vision. And the vision was to clean up the league, which, thank God, everyone needed that. Uh, to have a drug policy where guys could, you know, reconcile with themselves. Um, also, television was big. He started to create television. He had a rivalry with Boston and the Lakers with Magic and Bird, he had that rivalry, you know. So the drug policy cleaned a lot of stuff up. You know, uh, teams started to organize better, you know, as far as getting television uh, rights. And Dr. Buss was very innovative um, as far as helping them with television contracts. And he was the first one to get signature uh, on an arena. I think it was 50 million. He got the Great Western for him. Uh, back in the 80s, and I think crypto was 700 million mm. to see how it's evolved. So mm -hmm. they started to, you know, employ international players a little bit more. Not as much as they, they are now, but the game became more global and it cleaned itself up. And then the Boston Laker rivalries in the 80s really helped sustain that. But not only that, man, you had, you know, your Dallas Mavericks. You know, you had Utah with Malone. You had, you know, uh, Artis Gilmore and, you know, Ice Gervin in San Antonio, Philadelphia with uh, Doc and 
Moses. you know, Mo Cheeks and those guys. And you had Milwaukee with Moncrief. And so the, the talent was 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 good. The parody was good. It was just unfortunate. Well, it's fortunate for us that, you know, it was always the Lakers and the Celtics uh, until Philly won a couple early in Detroit game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was poor in, in the early eighties. You know, we flew around on commercial, you know, crazy. Uh, a lot of guys don't even know what Eastern airline is, <laughs> you know, diet was, you know, we had one trainer that did everything. You know, we practice at Loyola Marymount, but sometimes we wake up and, We'd have to practice at the Inglewood Y. It was just, it was just crazy. Oh, so that's so. where that started. That's why when we used to come play the Lakers, we used to practice at Loyola Marymount. Yeah, because y'all practiced there. We practiced there okay. at Loyola Marymount, and uh, you know, sometimes we, we, you know, the weather would be bad, and we'd have a a, a flight delay. You know, back to back games back then, you had you had to catch the first possible flight out the next morning in order to get to the city. We had a Atlanta. We had a, a high storm and. We didn't get to Indiana till like five thirty or seven seven o'clock game. So it was a lot of a lot of stuff like that, you know, a lot of a lot of hot dogs with relish and beer at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, <laughs> you know, no diet, but hey, it was it was it was it was it, it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, you recently spoke on kind of being bullied uh, when you first got to the Lakers. How long did it take you to kind of find your footing and start earning your respect amongst that team? You know, it it took about half a season. You know, um, I started to to really gel around March, and um, I was I was playing. You know, I don't know anywhere from eighteen to twenty minutes, average about thirteen points, uh, and started to gel with Magic as far as running the the lane uh, was concerned. So, uh, but. That was also after about 40 games because, as you guys know, you know you get to about 32 games, 35, the most you've ever played in college, then your body's like, wait, wait a minute, what, what the hell are you doing? You, a little wall. You, know, you got 50 more to play. So I, I did hit that wall. But once I got the second win and got the knowledge and knew how to travel, knew how to rest, um, I was ready around April. April into March. Unfortunately, I broke my leg and, and missed the playoffs that year. But it took it took me about about five to six months. What was the uh, dynamic like between Magic and Kareem? I mean, you hear stuff. You know, obviously you were there. What was their dynamic like? Man, Kareem's one of the most misunderstood people and athletes that I know. Now he's taking responsibility for his personality and how he was somewhat of an introvert and not always, you know, uh, compatible with what he needed to do to be nice to people all the time. But he understood when Magic came that Magic had the personality and the game to lead. You know, Kareem was not uh, a verbal guy. He led by example. Mm -hmm. So he allowed, you know, he let Magic take over. And from what I saw, my nine, ten years together, they they had a great relationship. Kareem's just mellow. He's wanted to play and do his job. I don't think there was ever any beef at all from what I saw. If it was, they took it upstairs. But and that was the thing with our team. We, you know, we didn't have uh, you know, we we knew how to monitor each other. Uh most guys knew their roles. You know, when you got 
Kareem, Jamal, coming from John Wooden. You know, you got myself, Mitch Kupchak from Dean Smith. You got guys coming from good programs. Judd Heachko, uh, Magic from Michigan State. Pat Riley played for uh, played for Adolph Rupp, which was a weird experience. You know, uh, the, the racism that was going on with that team. So we had guys that knew how to get over themselves and also knew how to get out of trouble when we got in trouble. So it was because we wanted to win. How good was Magic Johnson during his time? Obviously cut short for a few different, a few different times, but just yeah. his body of work when he was out there playing his best. Yeah, still to this day, if I had to pick one player, like if I got to pick five, and they said, who you pick first? Magic. I, yeah, because mm. yeah, his, his, his ability to make you win, not to will, the will, he going to will some, some wins, but he just makes you so much better. And his his fight and his face and his cheering you on doing the game and doing practice. Then his performance at 6'9", when he was humming. Um, yeah, he, he's going to find a way to win. He's going to find a way to win. So he was amazing, man. Like, I remember trying to impress him first couple of weeks of practice. I'm going to show him how fast I can hit the corner, hit the lane. So I, you know, half court, and then I make my angle in, and the ball, you know, I'm not ready for it. You know, he said, you better be looking, son. You know, so he could get it to you from anywhere on the basketball court. And when he, you know, he could take a snapshot from 80 feet away and calculate your steps without looking. Like, he could get it and just take a snapshot, and then he just started in. Uh, and then his height really made it difficult to defend. Like, when Magic retired, I, I thought I was pretty good until Magic retired. And then we got Sedale 3 in here, you know. And Sedale 3 couldn't see nothing over the top. So I was, <laughs> I was missing opportunities. You know, I was like, wide open. I'll be like, Magic. Mm, so, yeah, he was, he, was, uh, he, was a, he was an amazing player, man. And, uh, yeah. Cap, speak to how great he was. His body of work, including college, both academically and, you know, three championships at UCLA. When freshmen couldn't play varsity, you're forced to play JV. And I know Matt knows the story. There was an intra-squad game against the JV team in John Wooden's 1970, or one of his national championship teams, and uh, Kareem, the JV team, beat them. Uh, couldn't come out of high school. Now, had Kareem been able to come out of high school, the record may not ever be broken. Yeah. But poetry and motion was the sky hook. I was on the other side of the block, and I was amazed. Sometimes I catch myself spectating and not going for the offensive rebound because it was so special. It was more than just rolling in there throwing a hook. It was it was the eyes. It was the pump fake. Uh, and it was like a, a triple jump in track. It was a lot to it. And by the time he got into it, 
if you could get through this left without getting your face reconstructed, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it was up there. Right. He's, I mean, mm. you know, he I think he made one, three. Uh, so my career. So he was, mm. and he went through many decades. You know, I saw him as, as a kid playing against Wes Unsell and Nate Thurman. And then he went through the next decade. And then he went through, you know, Kim Olajuwon and Patrick Ewan. And he kept doing it up until around 88, 87. But yeah, Kareem was uh, his whole body of work and smart as a whip. Um, I was short after my junior year, about 15 hours. So I was taking a, a history course. Black history course. And I was, you know, taking some independent courses out of USC, really. And I was sitting on the bus and he he saw what I was studying. It was something about the Dred Scott law, the Missouri Compromise. It was some black history. And he he saw it and he just starts saying, huh, uh, yeah, 1897. He started knocking off these dates and without any notes or anything because he, he was a history major. And I said, damn, there's my tutor right there. Right, for real. We just had discussions, and he turned me on to jazz. It's just a, you get to know him, which I'm sure you guys have talked to him. You get to know him, and he's reconciled with himself. He's, he's realized his downside. Mm -hmm. uh, but Kareem is one of my best friends, and he's a good brother. So, uh, your introduction to the Forum Club. Woo! <laughs> Man! Woo! Man, what I my rookie year, fly on the wall. The first time I went in the Forum Club, and I saw Ola Ray. If you guys remember who Ola Ray was, the first black woman in Playboy, and I think she was also in Michael Jackson's Thriller. But I saw her and lost my mind. Uh, it was just so beautiful in there. Uh, beautiful people, beautiful women, and it was like Dr. Buss's, you know, Playboy Mansion. He had his corner over there, and it was always, you know, you always wanted to see what was going on in there. But I had a couple friends of mine that worked at, for the Atlanta, for Delta in Atlanta, and they would always catch a plane. I'd get them tickets to the game. They would catch a plane with a three-hour difference. They'd get in right around game time. And I'd be looking for them, you know, because I knew where their seats were. They wouldn't touch the, their seats. They'd go to the farm club at the bar and get there and sit until halftime, and they'd just go crazy because the stars were, they were in there, and a lot, of, a lot of beautiful people. And then they would stay there till around 11, 30, 12, and back then you'd get a red eye back at like 1 a.m., and they'd catch the red eye back to Atlanta. Quick business trip. But, yeah, the farm club was like, you didn't have to leave the farm. You know, because it was right there till till closing time. It was it was nice. We played we played their um, preseason game with Don Nelson. Remember, uh, he, remember what he said when we was walking? He was like, mm -mm. "If y'all could be a fly on the wall." Back when I was playing in my days, oh, coming through here, and Don Nelson, he was talking about it's it. It's funny, man. I was in Maui a couple years ago, and uh, I was in the pro shop. And I saw this guy with fucking long white hair, Donnie, fucking bare feet, you know, <laughs> fucking hippie. Yeah. Fuck. Because he was my last all-star coach in 1992. Okay. I was like, I said, coach, 
I was like, man, you need to give me some of that whatever you got, man. <laughs> Nelly Kush. That Maui Wowie. Yeah, man. Nelly was good. I think Willie Nelson was over there with him. He went on the golf course. That's his guy. They be playing poker. Mm. Yeah, but Coach Nelson was, was, you know, I don't, I never really got to play for him, but I always, I always thought he was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Speak on um, the brilliant mind and how great Pat Riley is. Yeah, Pat Riley, man, uh, you know, from conversations with him and, you know, you talk about cycles, like his, you know, relationship with his dad was tough. And uh, then he used that to energize himself, you know, going to Kentucky, um, being drafted by the Dallas Cowboys out of college as well. Uh, he was always felt like, you know, he had to do more and be more. And so his preparation was second to none. Like his, 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 his work ethic as a coach was so prepared and it was so analytical, uh, that you, you were ready and he would push you to the point where, you want to fight him. And then the truth would be like right there too. And you have to deal with that. Mm. And he knew personalities. Like he knew how to push you. Like he would, he would you know, like Byron, I don't know. Well, you know, you, you haven't hit anything. Worthy, you're worthless. You know, he knew what to say, you know, to certain people. Magic, I don't know. There's nothing mystical about you. I don't know what's going on. Kareem, what would you like to do? <laughs> you know, so he knew how to push people and, but preparation and practice. And uh, he didn't delay his, you know, there, you know, there wasn't any like delay in his, you know, communication with you. It was, it was point on. Uh, so yeah, he was, he was tough. He was, he was a tough coach and we won. We won with him. Your numbers always went up in the playoffs. That's how you got big game, James? I think so. Chick Hearn realized you know, in the regular season, as you guys know, when you like, I remember playing Larry Bird on a Tuesday night. Got over to Philly. No, I, I'm sorry. Got over to New York Wednesday night, only to have Bernard King waiting for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd already had Larry back to back. Yeah, didn't have fucking Bernard King. Take a night off. And then following night, you go to Philly, you got Doc and Bobby Jones. So regular season, you hop around, you know, it's not the same. Playoffs, you got one team for seven games and you have less travel. So you get to lock in. Right. Whoever locks in the most is going to be the one. So if you lock in to, like, I knew I had to play Clyde Drexler. I knew... Because we didn't want Magic playing point guards. They wear them down. You know, we, we needed them. Anymore. So I, I lock in video after video. Well, Betamax back then, VHF. But you lock in, man, and you know that's all you got. Jerome Kersey, you know who you got. And you just lock in and you, you're ready. You, you know there's certain tendencies. And then you just work on your game, man. And, you know, shit, you, you should. Everybody's numbers should go up. Yeah. Playoffs. You get the playing time. You made a costume play in 84 finals because the Celtics bypassed 
led the Celtics to points in overtime and winning the game. Yeah. Take us back to that moment. As you as you talk about it, I I feel it. Yeah. It's, it's like it it's never still. goes away. Yeah. Mm. It never I saw goes you. away, man. Um that was my fourth championship. So when they say how many you got, it's it's cool to say three, but I I mean I that was it. You was on the doorstep. Uh I had injured myself the year before. I had no playoff experience. And um, you know, I had played very well up until that series up in the Boston and playing in the old Boston Garden, you know, uh, I got a little rattled because we had already gone in and won game one. We we'd already achieved what we needed to do was split. But man, we had that, we had that game. And so we got the ball out of bounds. Magic wanted to get it in really quick, like throw it in and get. So it was so so. And I was like, Riles was, didn't know what to call a timeout. Do we want a timeout? So Magic got it in, and so we're in the back court. So I'm I'm panicking a little bit because mm-hmm. you know they're coming, they're doubling. So I'm, I, I need to get rid of it. So I see Byron. So boom. Now as soon as I let it go, my peripheral vision, I see this. Green jersey coming. And I it's it slows down in your mind. It still slows down. I see, I was like, oh shit. And he gets it. Okay. But now he's got to come to me. So I gotta go to angle. And I go up and I I sometime I wake up in the middle of that, I'll be, oh shit. Because I can still feel, I can still feel the, you know, the wind of the ball go right over. Two hits two. We tied a game. But you didn't foul him. I didn't foul him. You didn't foul him? No, I didn't foul him. I tried to go for the block. It looked I, clean. I was, still, I was still, you know, trying to thought I could get to it. Mm-hmm. But no, nah, if, if I'd have had a chance to get it, maybe I should have, mm-hmm. with the way they were fouling us. But I had no experience. Uh, I was kind of panicking in the, you know, in the last minute, in the last 30 seconds there. And that, that's the one that, that's the one that, that's the one that, that I still think about to this day. It's like, it, it got away. Speak to the physicality of the game back then, because now you touch someone and it's a, yeah. but you guys really used to be able to, it was men playing back then. Yeah, we. I got a couple of highlights. Yeah. You getting off the floor. Yeah. Throwing them. Yeah, my biggest regret was getting in Kurt Ramis' way when he when he got clotheslined. Because mm-hmm. I was, you know, there was a lot of shit going on. I was like, what's going on? And I saw something coming and I got in Kurt's way. But the physicality, Back then was you could touch you could touch a brother up mm-hmm. you know like if you set a pick in the lane somebody's coming coming on you could you could you could literally stand them up and uh, like I remember Kurt Ramis getting clothesline that was Oof, by Mikhail. That was just two shots crazy no tech no tech right no tech two shots his shoulder blades hit the ground that's what three or four games now yeah, or? yeah. Might get arrested, but but yeah, it was uh, it was it was born out of the seventies, you know, when it was you know it was mostly half court, not a lot of running teams except the ABA, mm-hmm. Doc and George McGinnis and you know Ice and those guys, they ran in the ABA, but it was you know predicated on half court sets. The coach was always calling the plays. It was a lot of control. So you had specific players you wanted to get to. And so to do that, you had to set a cross pick for Carl Malone, a down pick for Dale Ellis or whoever the shooter was. 
So it was more control. Now it's just, you know, it's it's there's no play calling. It's motion. A whole bunch of running so around. So you had a lot of time to slow down, and then you had a lot of time to think about how you're going to defend that. And the way to defend it is to slow them down with a boom mm-hmm. with a chest. And then there were there were some games where there was a rule where no no freebies, there'd be no free layups. We had we had take fouls. You know, you want to take. John Stockton used to set a dirty pick early for Carl Malone. He'd get up under you and, you know, get it. Oh. So we had one rule that we could waste one early mm-hmm. on him. Let him know. <laughs> Take five. Yeah, you know, you are here you come. You know, and then you try to go for his throat, you know, try to, you know, get one. So yeah, but yeah, it was, it was, it was physical. Mm-hmm. It was, it was tough, man. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
championships in 85, 87, and 1988. You shot 50% in all three finals, uh, 20 points or more. Boston, 95. I mean, excuse me, Boston, 85, Boston, 87, or Detroit, 88. Which one was your favorite championship? I'm going to have to say 85 because the Lakers had never won, I guess, the South. Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, all those guys. Elgin Baylor, they lost seven to Bill Russell, Hevlicek, mm-hmm. Casey Jones. So, and the fact that we lost that one in 84, I really thought there was some type of leprechaun or something mm-hmm. in Boston. But <laughs> that one was because we not only represented ourselves, we represented all those misery nights that the Laker fans had to deal with. Yeah. They had to, you know, hear all that. Trash. So I think 85, personally 88, uh, not only was my personal best, but it was a back-to-back year. Something that hadn't been done in, you know. Finals MVP too, right? Yeah. Yeah, my one and only triple-double. Kareem was still with us, but he wasn't dominating Mm -hmm. like he he was. In 87, Magic was MVP of the league. You know, Pat Riley had asked him to do a little bit more. So I just felt like, okay, I'm young, younger. Kareem wasn't dominated, so it was, you know, it was time to, it was time for me to, you know, step up. What's your take on Boston fans? Were they <laughs> unruly back then? My uncle lived in Boston in the 60s, man. It was racist as hell. Yeah. And from what I understand, you know, we used to go through some some of that. You know, you 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 turn, you know, we used to get to the Copley Inn. And uh, and you know, you actually operated to turn your phone off. But she never did. You know, see, you you'd be getting calls. You had to unplug your phone, and people would say some 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 crazy stuff on the phone. And uh, I know through baseball, like some of the outfielders, you know, in Boston, it still exists. It was a tough place to play. They love their fans. They love their, their 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 teams. I give them credit for that. I love playing in Boston because I just just love playing there because I, I hated Boston. Mm-hmm. Hated it. I hated. You know, and I, I'm sure all people aren't like that in Boston, but I had some friends that went to college that lived there. So sometimes I would go into the neighborhood. And uh, so, yeah. And back then, the old Boston Garden, you had a choice to either, usually in traffic, you, you know, games 7, 30, 8 o'clock. You had a choice to go around the city. You had to go all the way around the city, 40 minutes to get all the way around to this ramp, this wooden ramp, and you, you could go that way if you wanted privacy. Or you take 10 minutes and they drop you off right where the, the subway people get off and the bus. Or you're merging with, with the fans. Mm-hmm. No bodyguards, no nothing. We just, and there was a special elevator for us right here. And then the fans went that way. But as you were waiting for the elevator, they would just give it to you. And I, I loved it because that was just my incentive. That was my incentive. But Bob McAdoo, you know, he had me listen to the Malcolm X takes before the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'd be ready. You'd be ready, man. So, um, yeah, but, you know, Boston, great town, I guess, if you live there. But I hated Boston. I don't don't care to really visit Boston. I dig it. Uh, How good was Larry Bird? He was damn good. He was good. Uh, so you was, had a quote, not to cut you off, that Jordan made you look slow, Larry made you look dumb. Yeah, yeah, Matt, yeah. Jordan, uh, Jordan was an amazing, you know, 
not not and both of them worked just as hard, but Larry didn't have the speed, couldn't jump, but he could shoot and he could work. He was big, strong, Buford Pussa type player. And he had a lot of skills. He could pass. He was ambidextrous. And you had to you had to be like on him. You couldn't give him any space. And when he got hot, it didn't matter if he was on him or not. Shit and talker. Yeah, yeah, he talked shit all the time. You, you know, he tell you. Now, I didn't get a lot of it because he didn't, you know, because I, I could give it back. You know, he didn't. <laughs> he, and, you know, I, I guarded him half the game. Then we'd have Michael Cooper on him. But there were times when he would tell you what he's going to do. You know what's coming. You, you know what's coming. <laughs> you know what's coming. What did you think when he um, played that game left-handed and had 40 with his left hand? Well, he's left-handed. He right, he's, he's, he writes right hand. I wasn't surprised, but that's who he is. And he predicted it. And know? said it. That's he what's crazy. He used to come in an all-star game, three-point contest. Right before he started, he'd come in and, and look at everybody and say, which one of you guys coming in second place? <laughs> you know, the, the, the one of the worst ones, man. And this is this is Larry, man. He's, White guy from French Lake, Indiana, you know. Um, and I and I heard he's done this to other teams too, but we we had a guy on our team, Mark Landsberg, I think it was. So we put Mark in the game and he's gonna guard Larry. And so it was a free throw, so Larry was down near our bench. Mm-hmm. And uh he says, uh, man, that's you got that's an insult. What you guys just did to me? Like, what? What you mean? That's an insult. He says, uh, "You guys put a white boy on me." <laughs> so that's 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 who he was, man. <laughs> and then he went. Then he went. Just ate his ass something. He looked at us. Like, Told you. So he. But he used to do that anytime you put anytime that happened. Whatever team he would always say, yeah, "That's an insult." Mm-hmm. But he was. Uh, he was tough. He was tough. He was nasty, physical. Uh, he, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really like him. That <laughs> Late eighties, uh, your guys' dynasty run comes to an end. You get swept by the Pistons in '89. Um, did you guys know? Did you think there was an opportunity to get back? Guys were getting a little bit older. And how good was that Detroit team? The Detroit team was good in '88 when we when we won. Mm-hmm. They were tough. Uh, so we knew coming yeah, back it was in '80. Yeah, we knew in 89. We were undefeated to that series. We swept everybody. Uh, Denver, Dallas, I believe. San Antonio, maybe. I can't remember who we played, but we, we, we were waiting for them. Mm-hmm. And we had like seven days off. Back then, television control, when the playoffs started, and Detroit was still playing in their finals. Against Chicago or, or, or maybe Boston, but Ralph took us to Santa Barbara because he didn't want us to have seven days off in L.A. And, and uh, so we went to Santa Barbara and a couple guys got hurt. Uh, Magic got hurt. Byron. I had a, a ankle injury that got worse. But we just weren't healthy. And even if we were, Detroit was still, yeah. they were good. Yeah. They, they were good. And, you know, they were Isaiah sprained his ankle in, in 88. I'm not saying that they, they would have won, but that, that hurt them in game seven. But 
they were a defensive tough team and the guy that guarded me the, the best they could slow me down uh was Dennis mm-hmm. so they were good uh Kareem was not that much of a factor in 89 and we really hadn't made any significant changes uh to our team I think we picked up Orlando Warridge mm-hmm. uh Tony Campbell from Detroit uh Rivers from Notre Dame. So, you know, when we, we were injured, we didn't really have enough experience really to, uh, to, to combat with them. And they were just, they were just too good. You talk, you, you spoke to someone who had a, you know, did a fairly good job of slowing you down, Dennis Rodman. What kind of player was he in that time? He was bad, man. He was, Dennis was a machine. Uh, in Detroit, he was a machine, man. He could guard anybody on the floor. Uh, he had the psychological games. He'd get in your head, like, you know, before the game, you give a dap. He squeezed my ass a little too. <laughs> it wasn't like, what's up? It wasn't like, let's go. It was, I was, so now you're thinking. <laughs> you know, Y'all really want to play this? <laughs> you're like, you running down the court, you know thinking about this motherfucker why he getting every fucking offensive rebound <laughs> there is because he knew how to you know get physical and play you know and fly I and mean, he was but his foot speed matched mine so all my little quick shit was so you had to be ready but i was ready i was ready but mm-hmm. but yeah dennis was uh, people do you consider that 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 bad boys team was that a dynasty i just I just know them for winning two championships. That's it. That's, that's, and that's not a dynasty to me. So, you know, Golden State, Dynasty, Lakers, Boston, uh, San Antonio, Chicago. But no, I, I mean, they won, they won two. And that, that's, uh, that's all. <laughs> Isaiah that's Thomas. All good. Is he underrated? Yeah, I'm picking him after Magic. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. Now, don't 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 he get it twisted tough. now. You talk. Don't, don't don't get it twisted. Isaiah, I'm picking him after Magic. Yeah. And because uh, uh, Zeke was the truth. I mean, he could give it to you however you wanted it. Yeah. On both ends, he was he was tough out of Chicago. So, you know, I don't you know I didn't really know him personally, like I, like personality. I don't really care about that. But as a player, oh, oh he's yeah, he's coming. <laughs> he's the truth. He's yeah. coming, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. The '80s uh, really brought the game back to life. Uh, Stack decade uh, yourself, Magic Bird, Jordan, Isaiah, Barkley, Elijah, Juan. Uh, when you look back on that, where do you kind of rank that era of basketball? Well, the '70s. You know the ABA. If the NBA finally realized, look, we, you know, Dr. J. We need him. Yeah, Ice Gervin. That was that. I would have to say the 80s. And I know that, you know, the Lakers won and Chicago won three in a row. But the emergence of the NBA again, I think, happened in the 80s because there were so many good teams in addition to Boston and, 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 and L.A. Uh, and the players, Magic, Kareem, um, Isaiah, Bird, Mikhail, you know, you know, Dennis Johnson was an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, Sidney Moncrief. You know, there was a plethora of like 
just amazing, great players during that time that I'd I'd have to say the way it emerged out of the 70s and gave the NBA life, it, it kind of breathed life back into the NBA. So for me, and I'm being a little bit biased, but mm-hmm. I think that was it gave Golden life to, to to Shaq and Kobe and, and even Michael. Even MJ had mm-hmm. to pay his dues to really. So I, I think, yeah, it was it was it was a good era. And then, you know, television, the salaries began to emerge in the in the late 80s. You know, I tell people all the time I was the number one draft pick in 82, you know, 475,000. That was and I had veterans coming up to me who have been in the league seven or eight years saying, how the hell are you getting $475,000, you know? But shit, I'd pay for that now. Yeah, I can't find a job. I mean, you can, but uh, but just to show you that the 80s propelled into salaries, contracts, the balloon payment, all that kind of the stuff. Of uh, the game. Yeah, yeah. Collective bargaining agreement began to be more focused on what the players were getting. Mm-hmm. You know, as a retired player, I'm getting – uh, full coverage insurance now because yeah. of, you know, the yeah. way that uh, you guys thought about, you know, what the league needs. And so, yeah, it's, it's, but the 80s started a lot of, uh, we never, we never strike. Um, we, we, were, we were close a couple of times, but so the 80s, 80s was good. That's one thing that the league got right. Took care of the older players and everybody, the insurance and all that. That's one thing they did get right. They did. Yeah. Un- unlike, you know, unfortunately, the NFL, because when you think of guys like Bill Russell, and Elgin Baylor, uh, you know, all those guys, even even Bob Cousy and Tommy Heinsohn was very critical to starting the, the Players Association to get rights for us. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, for, for and, and, you know, they played, they, you know, they played in the 60s. They were they were pretty good, you know, and they, and they definitely deserve to have some some medical, you know, uh, some medical care for for the contributions that they made. They they kind of started. Dave DeBusher. Oh, I mean Bob Pettit. Bob Pettit was a scoring machine. And you know you do your little history. There's guys that stood for something mm-hmm. and really you know uh, left us something to work with. With the '80s being the the physical league, it was. Do you feel? God, how do you feel? Guys like. Steph, LeBron, maybe even Giannis would have fared in that type of physicality and that kind of grind type league. It would have been a slight difference. Um, the way Steph can shoot, I think he, you know, the way he moves without the ball, I think he could survive uh, to have to guard Magic on the other end because we look for matchups. Mm-hmm. It's all about matchups, You know, we, right? we put a lineup where he's going to have to guard me or Magic or, you know, or, or A.C. Green or somebody like that who would get offensive rebounds. So I think that the defensive issue would be a little bit different. And, I, you know, um, I remember when the league took away the hand check and uh, moved the three-point line in a little bit because guys were coming out of college a little bit more, you know, frequently without having all the fundamentals. But, I, you know, we talk about defensive specialists like Sidney Moncrief, guys like, uh, you know, I mean, you guys played against Bruce Bowen and guys like that where they got to play. Sean Elliott. I, it would be a little bit different. You wouldn't be able to run as freely, and then you would definitely get exposed. I, 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 I would see this clearing out seven times in a row and magic. If you're going to guard magic, you know, we, we put it in a situation where you'd have to guard somebody. So it would be a little bit different. But, you know, look, the guys today have mastered 
uh, a style of play, uh, just like we did in the eighties. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit. It's a little bit different. Uh, a little, a little less uh, inside now. You know, your bigs aren't really bigs. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think it'd be a little different defensively. <laughs> Be a little bit more locked down. I'd love to see Michael Cooper, you know, uh, play against some of the, some of these guys. That, but the way the ball handling is, the way Kyrie Irving is, it, it'd be a challenge. It'd be a challenge, no doubt. What was it like seeing Mike's kind of rise um, in the early nineties? It was. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not gonna say it was overdue, but the timing was. Was was good for Michael because he realized you know he couldn't do it all by himself. You know I I think Michael uh, he knew about team at Carolina, but I don't think he really mastered it until guys like Horace Grant, uh, Pippen, uh, guys like that. Cartwright was a big part of you know the conversations with Michael. He had to learn. Through, through the Pistons, really. But once he got past that and once Phil was in place and he trusted his teammates, trusted Paxson and uh, Kerr and those guys, um, he, was, he, was, he was driven. He would drive them, but yeah, all those guys made him better. They enhanced his game, and that's why they started to win. Now, Lakers were done. Boston was done. Detroit was kind of over. Kimolaj won, did what he did. But the league was, you know, was, was, was right for Michael. Utah was still there. He had some challenges. Mm-hmm. But once he, once he tasted the honey, he wanted some more. That's where he is. He won two chips with no All-Stars. Yeah. He, he, once he tasted, that's it for him. He's like locked in. That's like, it's like golf for him. Once he, once he gets locked in, that's it. And I've never seen one player that challenges everybody, like in your face, mm. right or wrong. Whether he's right or wrong, he's in your face. So and he sets a, he sets a good example. But. Any fun or competitive stories on and off the court? What about Mike? Uh and Michael, not not anything. Too crazy. You know, the guys used to tease him a lot, right? So we had a running program, three groups. A, quick, young guards. They'd have to run their time, you know, like a 220 and 27 seconds. B group, which Michael was in, had to run his in 30. Then the bigs. So the little guys were always telling Michael, the point guards, ah, you got more, you got three more seconds to make your time. So Michael got tired of hearing that shit. And he went and told coach, he said, put me in the A group. He just bust that ass. He was running, he was running his shit in 25 seconds. But rookies also had to carry like either film ejector or, or the boom box. And Michael had the big boom box he had to carry around. I don't really, one time, you know, I think we had to get on by Kerfield, boy, he was, Real close to, because you know one guy in trouble, the whole team got to run. Michael was pretty. He was pretty clever. He didn't. I don't really remember too many. Buzz Peterson. You have to ask Buzz. That's his boy. His his roommate. I know Buzz used to say, you know, uh, 
because Buzz was kind of a preppy dresser kind of guy. So he always had the button down shirts. Michael used to wear all his clothes. <laughs> and so he's, you know, Buzz put his shoes on, they'd be all stretched out and messed up. <laughs> he used to do stuff like that with Buzz. But, and they're still boys. But yeah, Michael was, uh, Michael was, this, he was, he was pretty cool on campus. He went to class, you know, low profile. Mm-hmm. When did you know it was time to retire? When it wasn't no fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Magic retired. Everybody was, was gone. Coop was gone. Kareem. I think Byron had been traded to Indiana. And so I was there with, a, you know, with young players. You know, Anthony Peeler, uh, Elder Campbell, guys like that. And so they didn't really understand what I had gone through, and I couldn't understand where they were headed. That just wasn't fun anymore. The fun for me was getting up, going to practice. You know, we'd get with the boys. Our practice used to be on point, like fun. And then, you know, the camaraderie, the joking on the back of the bus. And, you know, we had family. We played we were together for nine years. So when I, you know, when I didn't see the same attitude and, and my knee was starting to, you know, I had arthroscopic. You know, I remember my signature dunk, you know, not from the free throw line, but right inside. And I just remember, like, it was 93. And I remember stealing. I'm, and I'm... I'm there, and about halfway there, I start coming. Down. <laughs> I start coming. <laughs> I turn into a turn into a flip. You know when your body when your body kind of starts talking to you. Mm. And you know we didn't have what they guys have today, but you know we're in pretty good shape. But when your body starts telling you, you know, and then when your mind starts saying, yeah, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, I was ready. I was ready to give it up. Anybody in today's game remind you of big game, James? I can't say, man. Uh, I really, I really can't. I, re- I mean, you know, one of my favorite guys to see it. I, I liked him in Texas. Was Kevin Durant? He had that. Once I developed an eight foot, you know, area mm-hmm. where you know the step backs from eight foot. I, you know, by no means am I comparing myself to to a Kevin Durant, but I liked his style. I can't really say it. They say Jeff Green when he first came in. Uh-huh, I can see that. When he I first came that. in, he That's had a, a stature. He had, yeah. a, you know, he had a little but I can't really not too many guys had the spin move, uh or the footwork. I, I went to Pete Knowles big man camp for like three or four years. So footwork was was big, but you don't see the post game too much anymore, especially from a guard or a mid range player. Very, very seldom do you see a plays called for that, and that was my specialty. So I don't, I don't really see that too much, uh, like I used to. Yeah, with, it, it, when I got in the league, Paul Pierce started it, and every team started doing it after Paul Pierce because he was the master at the yeah. post up. Yeah, get you on that block two dribble, man. Yeah, get that shoulder yeah. to you, man. Go yeah, quick was, inside yeah. pivot. That, yeah. That's he all was, come from you. He was doing that at Inglewood High School. Yeah. So like, <laughs> he, used to, he used to come to our games like yeah. five minutes away. I'm with Paul. Yeah, that's mm, all from high school. You. Sure do. You got any? Um, Kobe was a big historian of the game. Um, some moves he probably picked up from you. You got any Kobe stories? I was I was helping Byron coach. I wasn't traveling, but I was going to all the practices here at home. So I was still doing television as well. 
and I was working with Julius Randle, Larry Nance, uh, Turk Black, just on footwork, mm -hmm. you know, step backs, up and unders, all kind of stuff. And Kobe was on the team, but he wasn't really practicing a lot. So uh, Gary Vita, the trainer, called me one night, like 9.30. This is Kobe's 19th year. Now, I had worked with Kobe maybe his second year in the league when he, when the Lakers used to go to Honolulu. I worked with he and Lamar Odom and some other guys. So I'd already, but this is his 19th year. He calls me, like Gary Vitti calls me, Kobe wants to meet you in the gym in the morning. I'm like, damn, what's up? So I meet him in the gym <laughs> and he starts questioning me about a certain area. It wasn't the, the whole lane, it was just a certain area that his dad used to get VHS and Betamax when he was in Italy. Jelly Bean, who played in the NBA for a little while before going to Italy. And this guy said he remembered this, this some move. And then he, he went to show me, based on this video that he had seen as a kid, he just, because he was getting older, he wasn't relying on his quickness and he was, and it was just a surprise step in, you know. I would pretend that I was talking to magic. I'd be like, wait, and then I would Again. spin. And you know, he just, and I, cause I said, you're working too hard to get, you know, you don't need to be running all everywhere to get open. I said, just walk into it, you know. And then sometimes you, you might set a back pick, but you gotta tell your point guard what you're doing. And he was, <laughs> he was still studying the game, man. Mm. He wasn't even practicing. He wasn't playing a lot either, but he was still trying to pick up something. And I'd never seen that before. I interviewed him once down in Irvine in his office, and I, I'd never seen a, a player so focused. I don't think he had any hobbies, like golf or anything. He was, that, he was just so super focused on detail and the way he watched the game. He watched everything hand movement, we'd be watching video and he'd be like, oh, he's got his hand up, I got him. What are you talking about? Because he's like, well, his weight's on that side. So anytime he goes hands up, he's... So I'd never seen anybody look at the game the way he did. And then, you know, of course, he his philosophy was, nobody's going to have more hours than me. You know, I'm working out at 4 a.m. to 6, 10 to 12. You know, so I know if I have 20 hours at the end of the day and somebody else only has seven, then I'm so when you when you're charging your mind with that and you believe it, when you believe you're going to make that shot, you know, when you're trapped in the corner and you got nowhere to do but throw up a left hand three and that shit goes in. You know, that was that's a that's a mindset that's uh, that can do anything. Probably fucking probably be president one day if he wanted or something like that, but he he had a, and I was just sad that we didn't get to see what he was going to get to do afterwards for, 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 for girls in particular, you know, he's, he was focused. He's locked in. He's a locked in brother. Yeah. Who is big game James outside of basketball? Like, what do you like to do? What hobbies do you uh, have besides golf? I know you like golf. I love golf, man. I suck at it, but I love chasing it. <laughs> I love chasing it. That's man. most people, though. I yeah, hear I love playing golf, but I suck at it. Most people who are honest about it. I just go out because 
It's a good fellowship. Uh, really, a, a big part of my portfolio comes from being on the golf course because mm -hmm. that's where the decision makers are. That's where the meetings are. They're out there, you know, trying to see, hey, who who can speak at my convention? I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. So it works. Um, you know, I have some some business ventures. I'm, I love I love my my girls. Are thirty three and thirty one now. Our journey was 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 a tough journey. And now we're at a place where we, you know, we've had some, some good conversation. Um, I just love helping people, man. Boys and Girls Club. I do some scholarships in my mom's name back home. Same things we all do. Because I think you get a platform for a reason. Uh, and that's to, to, to give back something. Yep. Whatever that is. Uh, so I try to, you know, I try to stay focused on, on the business tip. Got a product. Uh, it's a, a cryotherapy uh uh, like a vest that has like a specialized gel pads. It's kind of ice, mm. ice, ice company we're working with. It's some more things, man. Try to stay busy. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your time today. Yeah, man. We're hitting you with the quick hitters now. So first thing to come to mind, let us know. All time, your all time Lakers starting five. Uh, I got to start with Elgin Baylor uh, only because I, I I know the history a little bit about Elgin, seen footage. I've talked to people. Uh, one morning I woke up to the LA Times and sports page. You know, James Worthy's second best small forward ever play. I went second. And then once I saw that Elgin Baylor was first, I left it alone because he was that bad of a boy. Uh, I think Elgin Baylor and created the jump shot. Nobody was jumping. They were shooting set shots. Mm -hmm. uh, the Euro step, if you go if you go look at some of Elgin's footage. He been doing it. Been doing it. And he was sticking on your ass too. He was, I saw him sticking on Russell a couple of times in footage. And the brother played from an army base. He was in the military. A lot of the times they would go get him for the weekend game, bring him to the game. But Chick Hearn to this day, says that Elgin Baylor was the baddest boy he ever seen. So I'm going to start with Elgin. Um, Wilt wasn't a Laker long enough, so I'm going to go with Kareem at center. Mm -hmm. Shaq, Kobe, and Magic. Mm -hmm. That's my all-time. Nice five. Before um, I ask you the next question, what's the story behind um, – you signed it with New Balance. You got a lifetime deal with New Balance? Not a lifetime I, deal. I see you got them new ones on I, right yeah, now, too. <laughs> I still I still got a good relationship with them, man. Um, um, in fact, congratulations to Coco getting the job done in the open. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was the first one to wear their basketball shoe in 82. They were big and running. But the shoe is amazing, mm -hmm. the, the way it's built. Um, so I took a chance, you know, Nike was there, Converse was still big. Um, but my agent at the time was, 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 uh, talking to New Balance because they were looking to get into the basketball one. Now what they didn't do, they paid well. I had the biggest shoe contract. I think it was like five million over five years. It was something like that. Crazy. Until Moses, uh, I'm sorry, until Michael came along, but Great shoe. And 
I took a chance because I had no idea that New Balance was into basketball. But once I put, they had a mesh shoe was the first shoe I put on. It was light, felt good. And I've been wearing those, what I consider fucking ankle breakers, Converse mm-hmm. in college. Uh, so I like the shoe. I, I stuck with them forever. Uh, there's a couple times my shoes got stolen and I had a had to wear the visiting teams. Mm-hmm. I mean the the home team shoes. So they got they got on a couple of basketball cards. They got me in Adidas, mm-hmm. if you ever see it. But I just talked to them about six months ago about trying to, you know, they always give me product. You back in the uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're trying, we're working on some things because I, I was the first. Actually, believe it or not, it was a Boston Celtic that introduced me to them, ML Carr. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they're out of New Balance is out of Maine, and uh, he was working with them in Boston a little bit. So, great shoe. The sun has taken over now. Chris, and he's in his 30s, and he's, you know, a little bit more, you know, uh, has more ideas. Mm-hmm. Got baseball players, got women. You know, it's 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 very Kawhi. competitive now. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's be nice to blend with, you know, some of these younger. Yeah. I had to tell Kawhi Leonard. One album you can listen to on repeat. Jeffrey Osborne, uh, On the Wings of Love. If I'm on, the, wings if I'm on the freeway, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire is what I grew up on. Uh, no Billy Ocean? Well, yeah, Billy Ocean was... That was my guy. Yeah, Billy there. Ocean was... Uh, Caribbean queen. Caribbean queen. Yeah. <laughs> Finley. Every time I see Michael Finley, I'm like, yo, Billy Ocean. Yeah, he do. <laughs> like but yeah, it, it would have to be Earth, Wind, and Fire. That was the first concert uh, I ever seen. But man, I like bands like the Barcades, Confunction. This is this some, old, some old stuff. But then, you know, as it got a little older, you know, Tribe Called uh, Tribe Called Quest was mm-hmm. hot in Jersey. Got to see them in some local clubs. Then, you know, if I listen to, I'm not big into rap, but if I do, I'm, you know, I'm going to probably be Nas. Nice. Yeah, got some, like got some deep stuff. But yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire is going to get it, though. Motown. Who, who's the most underrated player of your generation? Man, underrated. Um, well, people going, <sighs> there was a guy after Dennis Rodman that was just, Tough as nails. And um, a lot of people don't remember him, but Rodney McCray. I know that, I know that, man. Played for the, uh, Kings, played for the Rockets. Yeah, the Rockets. Then he got traded, I think, after after okay. that. They beat us in 86, but he had a brother, Scooter McCray, and they both played at Louisville. And, uh, but uh, one of the reasons that they, that the, that the Rockets beat us in 86 uh, was because of his ability to, you know, Slow me down a little bit. We had Kareem, we had Magic, and then they had they had a King, Ralph, and Reed, and uh, they, you know they had they had they they ran the ball. But Rodney Rodney McCray was was tough, man. Um, and then there was another guy that played for the Mavericks in Seattle, uh, Detlef Shrimp. Mm. Detlef Shrimp. Detlef Shrimp was he was tough, tough German guy, man, and uh, strong. Fundamental footwork. His first step was long and quick, and I had some battles with him. But I, I would, for me, those those two guys are mm. didn't, didn't get yeah, all with like, any. Yeah, 
Uh, five dinner guests, dead or alive. You plus five at a dinner table, dead or alive. Anybody? Man, that's hard, man. That's hard. That's hard. Uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing what Frederick Douglass was all about. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a, he was a, a, a abolitionist. You know, uh, so I'm gonna go there. Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. I laugh all my night guy. long. My guy. Uh, Richard Pryor for sure. Uh, Maya Angelou Dolly. for just her dialect, you know. Dolly. Obama, because you know he just emerged. And I got one more. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm trying to think of an African entity. Someone strong like that. Marcus Garvey or somebody my like guy. that. My guy. That's my guy. I like to go with Marcus because Marcus was deeper than a lot of people. Yeah, he, he showed us how to get our own currency. Yeah. He showed Marcus us how Garvey to get yeah. sure. If you could see one guest on All the Smoke, who would it be? But if I could see one guest on our show, who would it be? One guest? But you have to help us get your answer on the show. Uh, ask, ask me that one more time. Who would you like to see on our show? And you have to help us get your answer on our okay. show. Um, has AI been on the show before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. AI? AI been oh, on yeah. No question. No question. Talk. No question. Man, that's, that's a tough one, man. It'd be anybody, athlete or not. Yeah. Anybody. You know a lot of people that came through them games and can, you know a lot yeah. of people out here. A lot of people out here. It would be nice um, if you I think Denzel's been on too, hasn't he? Has not. So that that would be somebody. Actually, if you get Denzel, get Pauletta too. Yeah. Because there were Pauletta's tickets. She was a bigger fan in the 80s than Denzel. And nobody knows that. And Pauletta was, she's from North Carolina. So I would say Denzel and Pauletta are Lou Gossett. Lou Gossett was an old school mm. fan. See, either one of them were ticks. Back back mm-hmm. in the in the in the day. Okay, I'll see if we can get you a taste. Well, James, we appreciate it, man. Yeah, All man. your greatness, taking your time today, but just you know what you did for the game, and how Jack said, you know, you guys had a, a movement that inspired a lot of us to 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 want to be great. So we want to thank well, you for that and uh, continued success. Thank you guys for for keeping it going, man. Because uh, you know it's nice to sustain it. You guys were conscious about not only what basketball needed, but what life needed, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what the old players, uh, retired players needed, what the communities need. So uh, to use your platform doing this is you to be commended for. Appreciate Thank success. you very much. Thank you. Thank All right. You very you much. Guys. Thank well, you that's so a much. wrap. James Worthy. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. See y'all next week. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.